Well, good morning, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well. We are in part two of a series called It Is All Good. Let's start with something that vast majority of, of, of humanity can agree on. An ethical standard that exists in society. There's an ethical code that where we say, regardless of your ideology or regardless of your worldview, vast majority of humans would say that there is some type of ethical code that runs society, that runs through the baseline of the world that we live in. And this is why every now and then we would say comments like, well, I ought to do this. Well, I ought to move, you know, to have the older lady sit, you know, in the bus seat, or I ought to do this, or I, you know, I better not lie, or I, I shouldn't be doing this. There's something inside of all of us that make us say that, but where is that coming from? It's coming from an, an internal ethical code or a uh, code of conduct that we kind of all follow. And that makes us say, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I should apologize. There's something inside of us that say, you know, I should apologize. But let's face it, it's not coming from within us. Like if it was really coming from within us that I ought to do this, we wouldn't do it. Our entire motive would be selfish. But there's something that's out there that everyone would agree on. There's something out there that is some type of universal code of conduct that we pull and say, say, you know what, I should be doing this, or I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be acting like this. There's something inside of us that gives us that uneasy feeling to follow this code of conduct. The funny thing is, it's hard for us to follow that code of conduct, but we hold others to that universal code. Maybe it's hard for us to follow. We say, oh, well, I should be doing this, but I shouldn't be acting like this, but, and it's hard for us to follow that code, but we hold others accountable to this. Here's some reality check for all of us. Liars don't like to be lied to. Liars don't like to be lied to. It's, easy for, it's, it's, it's okay for me to lie, you know, it's a white lie, you know, well, because she did this, that's why, you know, that's why I had to lie. But somebody better not lie to me, right? Thieves don't like to be stolen from. You know, I had to get, you know, I had to steal, you know, it was like, you know, it was just something small, it wasn't that big of a deal. But somebody better not steal my stuff, right? Thieves don't like to be stolen from. Cheaters don't like to be cheated on. Well, it's because I don't, get any dis I don't get any respect around the house. That's why I had to do that. But then that cheater doesn't like someone to cheat on them. The appealing thing, the compelling thing of Christianity is Jesus came to level the playing field. Jesus came to level the playing field. And I want to come back into that. But I want to recap what we talked about last week. A lot of people ask this question. Oh, sorry, let me, ask this. Let me go through this. We can't stop holding others accountable to an external standard we sometimes ignore ourselves. We can't tell other people, well, you ought to do this, you shouldn't do that. But sometimes we don't follow that ethical code, that standard code for ourselves. We can't stop holding others accountable to an external code when we sometimes ignore ourselves. So we're gonna come back to this, but I wanna talk about what we talked about last week. Some people ask this question, I talked about this today in the liturgy and the sermon. Some people say, is it true? Is this whole Christianity thing, thing true? Is the Bible true? It, you know, it seems kind of like all fairy tale stories. How do I know any of this is true? And I, I, I love that question because it's sparking an, a healthy spiritual conversation. So I, I, I always love it when people say like, I don't know if I should be asking this. I kind of grew up in the church, but is any of this true? And I say, you shouldn't be embarrassed to ask that question. I love that question. Let's have a full on conversation about it because the question cannot start there. The conversation cannot start there because the movement of Christianity did not begin with the Bible. There was tens of thousands of Christians before there was something called the B-I-B-L-E. So our, our, our pursuit of something more in life, our pursuit of God is not just because the Bible says so. It is something so much bigger than that. It began with a movement. It began with a person. It began with the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
Even before there was a Bible, this, this is an off-tangent point, but let me say this really. Even before there was a Bible, Christians would get together in a room like this, and they wouldn't get together to, set, to, to, to have a Bible study because there's no such thing as a Bible for the first 300 years of Christianity. What they would get together is something that is recorded in, in, in early manuscripts of something called the Eucharist. They would come together to break bread, which we know today as being the divine liturgy. So this was the central piece of Christians from the year 33. And there are tons of manuscripts to, to, to point to that record. So that was the centerpiece of people pursuing who Jesus is. It wasn't purely just the Bible. But more importantly in asking the question, is it true? The better question to ask, is it good? Let's say part of it is true and part of it is not true. Let's, let's, let's go along with that theory. The question should be asked, is it good? Is it good? And some people will say, you know, it's good for some people, but it's not good for others. But let's tap into the reality of how these early manuscripts of Christianity were written to see, is it really good or not? But like we mentioned last week, when you hear something that's not good, you hope that it's not true. When you hear something is not good, you hope that it's not true. If I tell you, guys, I just heard this morning before church that Amazon is going back to just selling books. You would be like, no, that can't be true. You take out your phone to Google that. You don't want to, when you hear something that's not good, you hope that it's not true. But the, the flip of that, when you hear something that is good, you really do hope it is true. Like think about all the clickbait that you click on, all the advertisement that you click on on social media or something that pops up on your phone or something that pops on online and, and somebody says, hey, this magic pill will make you lose X amount of weight before Christmas day or you know, start 2020 with this fitness machine. You're gonna lose X amount. Like all this clickbait that we click on is because we, wait, is that true? Because we naturally lean toward what we hope is good. We naturally lean toward what we hope is good. This is why the early manuscripts of Christianity, which record the life of Jesus, we know them as Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they begin, the one we're going to focus on is on the Gospel of Luke which is written by a physician around the year 80 to 90 AD, and he was really good friends with a, with a very prominent missionary by the name of St. Paul, the Apostle. And he begins by describing this record, this narrative that he's about to write. He says this, that this is good news, what I'm about to describe. It is great joy, and it is not just for a select group of people, but it is for all of humanity. These, like, for somebody to, like, sometimes we pass by these words. Yes, yeah, the, you know, it's the Bible, you know, it's, a, it's the Christmas story, it's his good news, it's great joy. And we kind of pass through it, but we don't tap into the reality of it being written in the first century and why, why this author is taking time to say what I'm about to describe, what I'm about to articulate in this manuscript is good news. It is great joy. It transcends the joy that we know. And it is all for humanity, regardless of race or cultural background. What I'm about to describe is this. So the, the four original books were not called the Bible. The, the, these four records were not called the Bible. They were called Evangelion, which means good news, which means good news. It wasn't from a biased perspective for him to say, oh, this is good news for a select group, but this transcends time. They knew what they were documenting was, was news, were events that transcends time and it transcends humanity to the divine. But if this is true, if the Christmas story is true, or if it is good, why have people walked away from it? Why are people hurt by it? If the message of Christianity and the message of Jesus does not strike in every human being, 
with a little bit of interest or curiosity or it's something appealing to, to whatever degree, my opinion, they have not seen the original, unaltered, organic version of Christianity. Because the unaltered version, the, the, mo- the, the purest version of the movement of Christianity was the most appealing version of Christianity. And this is the version that rocked the entire world. Not the reformed version, not the altered version, but the most fullest organic version of Christianity. This is what changed the world. And this movement was, if you think about it, just from a historical perspective, this movement of Christianity, of what Jesus began, was sandwiched between being persecuted by Judaism and, and being hit by the Roman Empire, and it thrived and grew exponentially. There's something so appealing, there's something so compelling about the movement of Christianity to the fullest version. So for people that say, you know, this is only good for certain people, but not for me, in my opinion, they haven't tapped into the, the fullest or most organic version of the good news. Because the original version was compelling. The original version was worth telling. What we're going to look into now is we're going to look at the, the, the record of Jesus' life, the Evangelion, the gospel, written by St. Luke the Evangelist. But I want you to, to, to just take an unbiased look. Don't say, oh, we're about to read the Bible. Take an unbiased look. And as we mentioned last week, I want you to look at this in a fresh new lens of how this physician is writing down the story that rocked world history. This is how he begins. He begins with saying, many, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's saying, many people have tried to write down the story that I'm about to, to explain. Many people have put so much effort and time and money to, to, to articulate and to document this narrative that I'm about to share because it, it is such an appealing and attractive story that so many people leaned in toward it, that so many people put so much effort and time to record this because historically, nobody did that. Nobody took time to write about a narrative about someone else. That took a lot of time. Only the wealthy people that had a scribe were able to do that. So St. Luke, so the, very first, the very first line that St. Luke records in his gospel And his record of Jesus' life says, Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. We talked about this last week. Theophilus, some historians say, was, was a certain individual looking for something more from Christianity. So this might be the target audience of who Luke is writing to. But Luke also understood that this narrative transcends time and space and culture, that he wanted to, to make sure that the audience was bigger than just Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Just his introduction, St. Luke is making a big deal of why this narrative that I'm about to put out of the Christmas story, of why it is so important. I did comprehensive and thorough investigation of talking to eyewitnesses and pulling in all the data and every perspective to write down the birth and the story of Jesus. This is why in... When we come together as Orthodox Christians on Sunday mornings, when we read, when we come to, to, to break bread, the lectionary or the series of readings that are coming that we celebrate in the Eucharist are coming from this season of, of the Advent season of the church, the Christmas season, are all coming from the book of Luke, are coming from the gospel according to St. Luke, because he has a detailed, comprehensive narrative explanation of the birth of Jesus. So he describes all that in full detail. And this is why during this season, every Christmas play 
every, that, that's going on in every church and, 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 and all the Christmas songs, everything is being pulled from this narrative that St. Luke recorded from his thorough investigation. What makes this good news is because Jesus levels the playing field. People who were nothing like Jesus were appealed to him. People who were nothing like him were interested in him. People who were nothing like him were a little bit curious of him. The most unaltered organic version of Christianity. This is what made it so attractive. What I want to do now is read from a part that St. Luke records of an event that occurred between a very wealthy, good husband, great guy, great businessman. His name is St. Peter. So he was great, great. I mean, he, he was very extroverted. He knew how to articulate himself. He knew his stuff, okay? And this is an event, an, an, an event that occurred between him and Jesus. But I, let's, let's jump right into what we have. St. Luke records this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, which is the Sea of Tiberias, it's the same body of water. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were, cr were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I don't want to spend much time on this, but for... For, for St. Luke to record, saying many people were gathered around him by this body of water, listening to the word of God. When I say, when I say oh, the word of God, you think of the Bible. When I say the word of God, the Bible. But here they are, without words, seeing divinity and humanity in one, articulating and verbalizing the word of life. These are Jewish men that only know God as Yahweh, some, some, some being out there. But to see him now in flesh, in, in, in person, speaking the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were fishing, who are washing their nets. Okay, so Jesus sees the people. It's, it's early in the morning. They just finished you know, fishing all night. So like, they would fish in the middle of the night. They had a better chance of catching fish at night. So they're, they're tired. Okay, they're fatigued, and they're coming, and they're you know, removing all like, the seaweed and beer cans from their, from their nets from fishing all night. And then Jesus is there. He got, he got into one of the boats. So Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who was Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, just mentally, Peter is emotionally exhausted. He's mentally exhausted. He's tired. He's been fishing all night, caught nothing. He's exhausted. Okay, let me just, let me just call it a day. Let me just go home. Let me just see my wife. Let me just rest. I just want to just recover from fishing all night. Peter, Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. You know what? I've had no luck all night, but you know what? Yeah, you're, you're a good, you know, Jewish man. You're a good rabbi. You know, maybe some of that good luck will kind of rub off on me. Let me just take my chances. Hey, maybe, you know, I, I need some of that, you know, good spiritual luck on me. So let me see if I can catch some luck this time around. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, Simon Peter, Mr. Loudmouth, very extroverted, always has something to say regardless of the occasion. He saw this happen. What was his response? To seeing just an unreal amount of fish 
being caught within a blink of an eye to the point where he had to gather his other buddies to come and help him with another bow. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. What is Peter saying? Peter encountered the freedom, the identity, and the love of Jesus. That the only thing he could say is, I need you to get away from me. Because when I'm in your presence, when I am in front of, of, of life himself, it convicts me. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm better off in life when you're kind of farther away. I don't feel as guilty when you're farther away. But when you're this close to me and when I see you working in my life this way, I, it, I can't. I need you to go away, Jesus, so I can feel good about myself. Because I'm one with you. I, I, I start realizing my insecurities, my issues, my sins. I, I, I want to feel good about myself. I want to go do the things that I want to do that make me feel good about myself. But when I'm with you, I, I, I can't. And I, I, I come and embrace the uncomfortable feeling of my issues, my habits, my sins, my addictions, my problems. I'm better off not being in front of that. Many people are like that at church. I don't want to go to church because I feel bad about myself. I don't want to face the reality. It's better for me just to keep, let me just keep on flipping and let me just keep on scrolling on social media. Let me just surround myself with a bunch of noise. It's better for me not to go. I, I'd rather not have that conversation. I'd rather not be confronted with me changing. It's better for me to take a step back. We can relate to what Peter is saying. He saw the power of Jesus. And he fell at his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And I love this next part. Then Jesus said to him, Jesus could have said anything to him. Jesus could have said, Yeah, well, Peter, see, do you feel bad now? Wait till you see what's going to happen later on. You're going to betray me. Jesus could have said anything else to Peter. Jesus could have said anything else to Peter to make him feel even worse. Saying, Oh, Peter, you're feeling bad now, man. Wait till you see what else you're going to do to me. Jesus could have responded any other way to Peter. But Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What makes us thrive, the biggest catalyst for us to make better decisions, the biggest catalyst for us to tap into the reality of who God is, for us to take the biggest step to, to, to applying who Jesus is and his life and his liberation that he has given us, the best way we can do this is for us to first acknowledge, I'm sinful. But our natural reflex is to take a step away. Our natural reflex is to take a step away. What makes the good news good is that we aren't good. What makes the good news good is that we aren't good. What makes, what, what makes St. Luke, what makes all the authors of the gospel describe saying, what this is, this is the Evangelion. This is good news for all of humanity for all time. What makes them say that with so much confidence is because they acknowledge that I'm not good. What, saying something is good is all relative. Saying something is good is all relative. So for, the, for us to say that this is good news, that we have to acknowledge that there is a void and every single human being can agree that there is a void. But some of us fill it with different things. Some of us will fill it with a different relationship. Fill it with porn. Fill it with another habit. Fill it with whatever the case might be. We run away from it. We fill in that void with something else. But Jesus is saying, what makes the good news good? Or Jesus didn't say this, but what makes the gospels good? is that we aren't good. Some of us shy away from the word sin. 
And I get it. I get it. They say, well, I stopped coming to church because, you know, uh, I'm always reminded that I'm sinful and you're, you're full of sin. Or that's a sin and that's a sin. You shouldn't do that. That's a sin. And I get it. I get it. But sometimes people use the word mistake. A mistake is I, I, I butt dial somebody. Okay, that's a mistake. But for me to do, there's no such thing as a premeditated mistake. There's no such thing as me doing the same, same habit over and over and over and over again. That's not a mistake that I'm doing continuously over again. That's a sin. That's a sin. And we should embrace it. I don't want to go into this, but even just the word sin, like I don't want to, to, to come with a different definition. All it is sin means I'm missing the mark. Sin means missing the mark. So if I'm saying I'm missing the mark, then I have to acknowledge what is the mark? The mark is the one who is the fullness of life himself. So if I acknowledge who the bullseye is, then I say anything I do outside of this is me missing the mark. This is why for centuries, for centuries, an integral rhythm sentence or prayer or phrase, a five second prayer that has existed since the fifth century in Christianity has been this rhythmic sentence that Christians have been saying under their breath, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Many people know it as the Jesus prayer. And something I learned this week, this prayer originated from, from Coptic monasteries in the fifth century. And it's something that is, is common in all Orthodox churches and even some Reformed Christian churches. I picked this up on this. I found out that even the Anglican churches, churches pick up on this prayer. This rhythm, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. St. Luke had a friend named St. Paul the Apostle. Great, bold, on top of it, man. This guy was an unbelievable missionary nonstop. He was a beast. He was a machine, always going, always going. And he, like, before he converted to Christianity, he was a top dog Jewish scholar. Like, wherever, he, anytime he would go into a synagogue or temple, like, man, like, people were like, oh, Paul's here. He's going to give us, like, a, a nice, you know, study from, from the Torah. He knew his stuff. He knew his stuff. All people always respected him. He was extremely popular because of his wisdom and his zeal for Judaism. Then when he acknowledged, when he came encountered, when he encountered the power of Jesus in his life, when he encountered the power of the risen Lord, when he encountered that, his words were that I am the chief of sinners. Paul, top dog. It was so popular because of his wisdom and his strength and his zeal for Judaism. Once he acknowledged Jesus, he describes himself as being the chief of sinners. And this is why with so much freedom, with so much power, and, and, and just the chains being away from him, this is what Paul, this is how Paul described freedom. This is how Paul described sin as he wrote a letter to the city of Rome. He's saying, for all have sinned, including myself. All have sinned. This is St. Paul saying, all have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're not justified by saying the right thing. We're not justified by doing the right thing. We're justified by accepting his grace, but it requires us to, to acknowledge and embrace the mindset and the words of what Peter said. I'm a sinner. Our natural reflex is we wanna take a step away. We don't wanna be convicted. We don't wanna change this part of our life. It's better, it's better to take a step away. But for life change to occur and freedom to, 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 to fill that void, I have to acknowledge, I don't have it all together. I am sinful. We all fall short. 
but we all have been invited to the same solution. And that solution has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is good news. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us, it's so easy for us to just cover ourselves with noise, with being busy, just being distracted, and just kind of keep like a good healthy distance away from Jesus and who he is and the reality and the miracle of his birth. But Lord, we want to take that step. We want to take the step of what Peter did. For him to say, Lord, I don't have it all together. I am a sinful man. Lord, we, we ask that you give us the strength to embrace and give us clarity for us to look inside to the core of who we are, to remove that, that, that weakness, to remove that sin, for us to embrace that and for us to come forth and bring that to God. This is what made St. Peter so amazing. This is what made St. Paul so great, is they came to you with their weakness. And when they came to you with their weakness, this is where they found strength. Through the prayers of St. Luke the Evangelist and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, 